This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. Joined by Mary Lucas from Transitions Life Care. Here's your host, Jason Kong. Welcome to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. Good afternoon to you. I'm Jason Kong here with Mary Lucas representing Transitions Life Care. Mary, how are you today? Doing well. Everything in the garden fried. You oh, know? yeah. Boy, I, you it's might been... be in like with some cucumbers or tomatoes or something, but I feel like the heat is just not, it's not going to get there. Fried is just the theme of the week, <laughs> I, I think is what we'll go with. Uh, I know we got some serious things to get to, but oh, I'll, yes. I'll, I'm going to get the nonsense out of the way first. I'm enjoying following uh, <gasps> your Instagram account, Canine Inch Tales, the tales <laughs> of uh, Tilly and Vespa. It's it's wonderful. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you for the... Uh, uh, for the recommendation there, and yes. for the it, quickly, can you tell people about? Yes, um, so Tilly is my hospice foster. She is my my newest pup in addition to the pack, and we're bucket listing. So um, follow us on Instagram, Canine Inch Tails, um, and we are trying to get all of our adventures in. Um, maybe we'll go for a pup cup today at Starbucks or something. <laughs> I don't know. I try to plan a little something every day and take her along. Um, we went and did splash pads in my friend's backyard last week. We went to the beach. So we're, we're trying to fill up her agenda, um, and it's been a lot of fun. So I'm excited to share all of her stories with you all. Look, with all the news that we have to deal with on a daily basis, it's nice to be bombarded with something that's that's fun and yeah. uplifting. So uh, that's that's my recommendation, everyone. All right, let's get down to our serious topic here. We're going to be talking about financial planning. And of course, you know, everything that we talk about when it comes to caregiving and uh, being prepared, of course, financial planning is uh, a big foundation of all of that, making sure that uh, our plans are in order and that we're not left with surprises or scratching our heads saying, you know, what, what do we do next? What is the plan? What are we going to do? Well, um, this would be a very short conversation if it were just Mary and myself. <laughs> so we are very happy to welcome in Matt Glova. He is a certified financial planner and CEO of Lifetime Asset Management and Lifetime Tax Management. Matt, thanks so much for coming on the show. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here. I'm excited. Sounds like I need to follow Mary on Instagram, too. <laughs> <laughs> yes, please follow along. And uh, when we talk about financial planning, I am not taking on the financial um, side of Tilly's care, which is a wonderful <laughs> thing about fostering because her care is very expensive. <laughs> I have a I have a splash pad at my house, but it's for, it's for my toddler, <laughs> for my two-year-old. <laughs> All right, Matt. So let's dive into financial planning here. Uh, what's involved in financial planning? You know, I think we hear the words. It can be a little intimidating. Talking about finances, especially my own sometimes, is it's a hard thing to wrap my head around. So what's involved in financial planning? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And, and there can be a lot that's involved. Um, there's so many different aspects of, of financial planning that includes estate planning, retirement planning, business planning, risk management, you know, on down the list. But, but it's really <clears throat> trying to get a grasp on your overall financial picture and making sure you're, you're doing the proper things, making the right decisions, um, making sure you're as efficient as possible with the resources and the assets that you have available and making the right decisions in that respect. So there's a whole process around, um, you know, getting that information, analyzing it, and um, ultimately uh, making recommendations so that you uh, make better decisions with your money. That's great. So why should someone get a financial planner to start this process? What are some of the benefits of having a financial planner in, in your back pocket? 
Yeah, I, I personally feel that you're just not going to live life to its fullest unless you have a good handle of what your finances look like, um, what what you're allowed to spend, what you need to save in order to get to that next goal. And it doesn't have to be specifically retirement as a goal. I know that is a, a huge goal for a lot of folks is to be financially independent or retired at some point in time. But I think in order to, to live life to its fullest and understand the constraints or the opportunities with a budget and looking at cash flow, um, you, you, need to have, you need to have a financial planner to do so, um, to have the tools and the software and, and the expertise uh, for somebody to make those types of, types of recommendations. That's a great point. Jason and I here are planning for our early retirement, so um, I think that that's a very important um, thing to, to think about. Um, you mentioned the process of financial planning, and what does that entail, and what do you provide to kind of start the planning process? Uh, what, does the, what does the whole process look like? So, you know, I always recommend this. So if you're out there and you've never engaged in um, with a financial planner, you know, to get to get advice, it can be a little scary. It can be, you know, you don't know what to expect. You don't know if you're going to be, you know, sold something or given proper, you know, proper advice. And there's there's a lot of us out there. And so I always tell tell folks, find somebody who is a certified financial planner. And if you find someone who is a certified financial planner, more than likely, they follow a specific process to get to get to your your question. Um, We follow uh, by the CFP board a financial planning process that really involves, you know, understanding the client's personal circumstances, identifying their goals, analyzing um, all of the information you know, that, that is involved in their, in their financial situation, uh, develop a plan, um, recommend the plan, present the plan, um, implement it, and then, and then continue to monitor it as time goes on. And that's the big thing is monitor it. You know, life, life changes constantly, whether it's, um, you know, having a baby, buying a new house, a job change, retirement, moving into a CCRC or an assisted living facility. So uh, really continuing to monitor and update that plan on an ongoing basis is, is, is just as important as actually uh, getting that plan uh, in place at the beginning. Those are great points. And, you know, as we see the the price of living, the cost of living going up and and these CCRCs, like you mentioned, assisted living facilities, things like that, it just can be incredibly expensive. You want to make sure that you're really planning out for something like that and thinking about that earlier in in your life so that you can afford to to live like that later on. Matt, what are the differences between financial planning, retirement planning? You mentioned estate planning. What are the differences between these different planning processes? Yeah, that's that's a good question. I mean, retirement planning is is usually on the top of of everyone's mind. You know, are we saving enough? Are we doing the right things to get ourselves in position to retire and be financially independent? And retirement planning is really just a a category, subcategory of financial planning in general. Financial planning encompasses all of those different components, which includes retirement planning and estate planning. And all of these have subcategories as well. <clears throat> retirement planning has to do with, you know, accumulating enough assets and then ultimately distributing those assets to be able to live um, uh, throughout retirement and not outlive your money. Estate planning has to do with charitable giving, asset protection, transfer 
transferring wealth um, and several other components of that. Uh, risk management is another uh, subcategory of financial planning, making sure that you have enough uh, protection around yourself and your loved ones um, through whether it's insurance or an emergency fund, how much cash to have, you know, have in the bank. Um, and then taxation is another component of, of financial planning. And, and there's a lot of components of that business tax, income tax, uh, gift and estate uh, charitable tax, um, you know, and on down the list. So financial planning is really a broad overview of all those different components. And retirement planning is just one subset of, of that financial planning. That's really helpful. So you you mentioned the word assets and allocating assets. When you're thinking about your investments and and where you're putting your investments, what is asset allocation versus diversification of your assets? Yeah, that's that's a great question. A lot of those a lot of those terms are used interchangeable and in a lot of times in the same sentence. Mm -hmm. And, And really, what it comes down to is diversification in in terms of investing really reflects the amount of the same asset class holding in your portfolio. So for example, uh, if you have uh, stocks in your portfolio, do you own five stocks or 500 stocks? And the larger number of holdings, the more diversified uh, your position is. Compared to asset allocation, which is the way um, those assets are distributed within your portfolio to align with your goals and objectives. So this this allocation can be based on age, risk tolerance, <clears throat> income, excuse me, income needs, asset base, you know, and on down the list. And so asset allocation is typically measured in percentages according to the, the asset classes in someone's portfolio. Wonderful. You mentioned stock market. I'm going there. The job oh, market. Yeah. <laughs> the it's job, hard not to. It is yeah. hard not to. The job market is seems to be doing well. Consumer spending seems to be still happening. And I look at my portfolio and stock market and I'm like, what is going on? Why is the stock market declining? Yeah, that's, you know, that's a good, that's a good question. It's, there's so much uncertainty out there, right? I mean, the world that we live in today has so many you know, headlines and geopolitical issues, whether it's the, the Russia-Ukraine war or inflation or the Fed's, you know, hiking rates, all of that is, is, is uncertainty. And what is the stock market not like is uncertainty. And so even though there are some good components of what's going on, we are a consumer-driven economy, there, there is these uncertain factors that are at play, and we're going to see continued volatility as, as time goes on. And, and really how that relates directly to the stock market, I mean, you look at inflation as an example. If, if the cost of goods continues to go up and companies need to pay more for their, uh, to produce their, their goods, that could impact their earnings. And if it impacts their earnings, that is going to impact their profitability. If it impacts their profitability, it's going to impact the price uh, per share, which ultimately reflects the, um, uh, your portfolio, your, your 401k, your IRA, how you're invested. And so you'll see some of that uh, volatility based on uncertainty. And, and it's a little overshadowed um, given all the headlines that I mentioned, but there's also a lot of uncertainty around uh, midterms, you know, mm-hmm. midterm election, uh, which we have coming up in November. And, and so we have a lot of uncertainty on, on what's going to happen as far as policy goes. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times after that is taken care of um, past November, we, we tend to see more of a rally the next year. 
once we have certainty on you know who's in office and things like that. But in general, the takeaway, uh, Mary, is is the stock market does not like uncertainty, and there is a lot of uncertainty out there. You can uh, open up any newspaper headline, news mm-hmm. channel, doesn't matter. You'll see um, you'll see a lot of issues that are out there that are on the top of everyone's mind. Need an iron stomach right now, but hey, as, as Matt said, you just got to be patient, be in it for the long haul. We're speaking with Matt Glova. He is a certified financial planner and CEO of Lifetime Asset Management and Lifetime Tax Management. We're going to take a quick break, but we'll be back with more. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF with your hosts, Mary Lucas and Jason Kong. Welcome back to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk traffic. If you want to learn more about Transitions Life Care, be sure to go online to transitionslifecare.org, transitionslifecare.org. I am Jason Kong here with Mary Lucas. Our guest on the line is Matt Glova. He is a certified financial planner and CEO of Lifetime Asset Management and Lifetime Tax Management. And we're talking all about, surprise, financial planning and what is entailed in that. And Mary, just before the break, we were talking a little bit about investments in the stock market and what goes into that. Mm-hmm. I think it's a great, great topic right now. It's very timely. Everyone's thinking about it. I know I watch my account go up and down and it's, it can be depressing some days. Um, so Matt, tell us a little more. How can you protect your investments from these ups and downs of the markets? I don't I, the market. I don't think it's like you said the uncertainty here. I, midterms are coming. I think that there's that uncertainty is still going to remain. So what can you do now to start protecting your investments of that up and down? Yeah, yeah. I, I'll, I'll break this down into two components. There's you know there into two types of investors. The um, investor that's accumulating assets, and then the investor that's decumulating assets, who is more in retirement taking money out for for those that are accumulating assets this is not a bad thing if there's volatility in the market those that are putting money into their 401k's or their IRAs and the markets are down they are buying at a lower price point and so accelerating some of those contributions now while the market's down you're you're buying at a low price point um, and ultimately going to get that recovery in the market so so that that's that's one thing this isn't a, a huge deal for those that are in the accumulation phase um, of their careers and and they will certainly benefit from downsides of the market um, but protecting yourself for those that are really relying on their income uh, in retirement or, or approaching retirement is a very important uh, topic and, and something that, that they all need to be aware of. And we just mentioned asset allocation and diversification is a basic component of protecting yourself. As you get closer to needing income um, in retirement or from your portfolio, you just naturally need to go more conservative. And that way your portfolio is not down by 20 or 30% like the market is today. And you would have to sell um, some of those uh, stocks 
to fund your withdrawals and you're selling at a low point in the, when the market is down and recognizing those losses. And so you definitely don't want to do that. You need to be more conservative as time approaches and you need money. Um, you need to draw income from your portfolio. We um, specifically at, at our company take it a, a step further. When folks are approaching retirement or in retirement, we actually break their accounts down by buckets, bucket one, two, and three. And and to, to simplify it and not to go too much into detail, bucket one is extremely conservative. We're mm-hmm. talking cash, CDs, money markets, bonds, fixed income, all of the safe components of a portfolio. And it is that bucket that income is being drawn from for them to live on. And it's not really going to fluctuate with the market a whole lot. And typically we have five plus years of income in that bucket one. And then bucket two and three are more aggressive, um, but you're not taking withdrawals from those and they can handle the ups and downs of the market. So if people have enough income in bucket one for five years, they can withstand what? The ups and downs of the market. And the market will recover. It has recovered 100% of the time um, since its existence. And I know it's down right now, but it will certainly... um, certainly come back. And so being able to diversify, make sure that you uh, have a conservative allocation if you're drawing income. And then we like the bucket approach to, to divide uh, clients' accounts into, into buckets so that they can actually see which account is, is producing income that they are taking withdrawals from. Does that make sense? Definitely. Yeah, Matt, um, you know, for those who are uh, getting ready for retirement and are in that accumulation phase, you know, oftentimes I see these articles often from popular financial sites that say, hey, by this age, you should have this amount of money saved up for retirement. Are, are those articles accurate or is that really something that you can only get an accurate look at with a, a financial planner or someone who's certified in that regard? Yeah, that's that's a very blanket statement. You know, it's 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 kind of like the old, I can't remember the, the company that used to have the commercial, I think it was AIG or, or ING um, or, or Voya, sorry, that would carry around this big number, retirement number, and he'd be cutting his, you know, cutting his grass and he'd talk to his neighbor, oh, this is my number, oh, this is your number, and, and then somebody would have like a bunch of question marks, they wouldn't know what their number is. There's not a blanket, you know, uh, a statement or number that everyone needs to accumulate. It boils down to cash flow. What do you want to live on? in retirement from a budget standpoint, and then you start to apply all your resources, whether it's social security, pension, um, you know, if you're going to be, if you're going to have any type of inheritance or uh, sale of a business, you know, on down the list, what what do you want to live in retirement? Then I will show you the number that you, that you need to accumulate after applying all of those different resources uh, to the cash flow projections. So it really is, it comes down to cash flow and calculations and applying all those different um, uh, uh, facts to, to someone's specific situation. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I, I think starting early is also really important. You know, when I, when I started my career and got a job right out of school. I wasn't thinking about these things. And I think everyone at that age is kind of like, oh, whatever, that's taking a lot of money out of my paycheck. I'm not going to bother with that. And now you catch up and you're trying to catch up and add more and more and, and to your retirement account and, and thinking about these things. It's something that start early is important here. Yeah, it really is. I mean, you, you're exactly right. Somebody that, that graduates from college, you know, or, or starts their career, you know, out of high school, whatever it is, you, that's the last thing you're thinking about is putting money away into a 401k mm-hmm. on something that may happen in 40 years. 
and and if you stay in that mindset and go through your 20s and go through your 30s and not save anything and by the time you get to your 40 you're playing catch up at that point um pensions are a thing of the past for most people they're not fortunate enough to have a pension uh through their employer so it comes down to each individual needing to take responsibility and save the appropriate amount um through their withholdings and through their their regular savings savings habits. So yes, to your point, the earlier they can start, the easier it will be later on, and you'll mm-hmm. be able to achieve um, even the goal of retiring early, like like you're hoping to, Mary. Retire, <laughs> retire early. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Yes. yes. <laughs> Matt, I want to talk about scams and shift gears a little bit because that's something that our our listeners um, probably hear about. So what are some common scams to look out for when thinking about financial planning and, and some financial scams or elder scams that are out there? Yeah, this is unfortunately, there's a long list of of scams um, that are out there. And, and a lot of times it's not only, you know, external scams, it, it can be internal scams as well, meaning people in your, you know, that you would think are in your close, uh, close network of, of friends and family um, that may be taking an advantage of you. And that's, that's a whole nother whole nother discussion on on um, having family members or internal uh, people in your inner circles taking advantage of you. But some external factors that I have seen a lot of it has to do with um, uh, people reaching out to you that you may not know, uh, believing um, that they're the IRS or, or, or saying that they're the IRS or Social Security or Medicare and wanting to obtain information and using certain scare tactics like you are past due. You have not made your tax payment. You are late. You owe back taxes. Um, and wanting uh, their ultimate goal is to have you send them money or give information such as a social security number or a bank account number um, or, or anything that is a personal information that they can end up using against you to maybe go and open a line of credit and start to take out credit in your name. And you're stuck with that, you know, that amount of debt. Um, that that was uh, uh, fraudulent, uh, fraudulently open, and so you have these third-party companies that are that are really accelerating those attacks on you. And so there's there's so many different ways to protect you know protect yourself uh, from that. And you know we always say you know just just be extremely vigilant on what you are um, receiving and how you're res- responding. So you can always presume that any call or message that you mm-hmm. receive from somebody that you don't know is, is typically a scam. Mm-hmm. And then you'd have to, you know, go and research that after uh, you receive that message and, and, and don't ever give any information to anyone that you do not recognize. That's my grandpa. He, he ignores every call that isn't a number he recognizes because we got in trouble with this. Sorry. <laughs> he answered it's one too many so phone common. calls. <laughs> oh, it's so common. I mean, there's, there's so many other things that you can do. I mean, I have, I have a list of things that we tell our clients, mm-hmm. you know, clients to do. Never give out your personal information by email, phone, or text message. Never do that. Never click on a link that you don't know is legitimate. So you get spam, you get email, these, these phishing emails where they're mm-hmm. sending an email pretending to be Amazon or pretending to be um, pre- even pretending to be a loved one, a nephew or, or an aunt or an uncle saying they're stranded somewhere. Can you wire me, you know, some, mm-hmm. some money so I can make my way home? So never, you know, never respond to any of those. Never, uh, this is a recent one, never, never let anyone access your computer that you did not 
contact directly. Mm-hmm. Um, and and uh, that, that that is happening more and more. People are pretending to be computer repair uh, people, and they're logging on to computers, capturing information, accessing bank accounts, and things like that. So never let anyone access your computer. Um, learn to look for suspicious links in emails, misspellings um, in domain names, you know, amazon.com dot, you know, YXZ. It's not from Amazon. You got to make sure it's, you know, the domain in the email address is from the legitimate company. Um, and then one of, one of the main things um, that we coach all of our clients on is, is simply freezing your credit. We had a FBI agent come and speak at one of our client event, events years ago, and they said the number one way to, to um, help combat that type of fraudulent activity is to freeze your credit on all three credit bureaus. Mm-hmm. And you do that, and if you think about it, somebody who has your information your social security, date of birth, which more than likely is the case for many people with all the uh, breaches that have been out there. If somebody is going to try to open an account on your behalf to obtain credit to, um, to, to use that credit to make purchases or get cash back or whatever the, whatever the situation is, they are going to apply for that credit with a financial institution that is going to have to check your credit. If your credit is frozen, they can't inquire, uh, make an inquiry into your credit to see how credit worthy you are, and therefore they're not going to extend credit to you um, or to you know to the to the um, uh, fraudulent person trying to open the account, and, and that'll stop it. That'll prevent any type mm-hmm. of um, of any type of that activity. So freeze your credit. Um, it's easy to lift your freeze whenever you need to apply for a mortgage or a new credit card yourself. It's very easy now to to do that. Yeah, that's great advice, Matt. And we're right up against a break here, but I want to give folks a chance to learn how they can get a hold of you or lifetime asset management. Yeah, so um, you can follow me on LinkedIn. You can always find me on LinkedIn. Um, you can go there. You could go to our website, www.lifetimeasset.com, and there's a contact me page. You can access our my calendar for an initial discovery meeting. There's no cost. We just learn what you need and if we can help, and then we end up sending out a, um, a proposal for service, you know, afterwards. But the website is a good place, and and LinkedIn. Wonderful. He is Matthew Glova, a certified financial planner and CEO of Lifetime Asset Management and Lifetime Tax Management. Head on over to lifetimeasset.com or look up Matthew Glova on LinkedIn. We got to take a quick break, but we'll be right back. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. 60 minutes devoted to giving you all the information you need when caring for a loved one with Mary Lucas and Jason Kong. If you have questions for the show, you can email agingmatters at transitionslifecare.org. Welcome back to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care. On FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. Jason Kong here with Mary Lucas, and we're going to continue with our look at the the Transitions Life Care team and the expertise (laughs) there. We're happy to bring back on the show Mark Philbrick, Director of Education with Transitions Life Care, and we are going to focus on something very important that we often like to talk about on this show, and we're going to be talking 
about legal documents, in particular dealing with the healthcare power of attorney and living wills. Mark, thanks so much for coming back on the show. You're welcome. Great to be back. I love. I'm. We're gearing up for this National Healthcare Decisions Day, and it's so exciting for um, for us to share this information with everybody. Mark, our healthcare system can be so challenging and to understand, especially when we encounter a sudden, serious, or terminal condition. It comes up in the work that we do, and a lot of people heard it throughout COVID. Can you talk to us about some of the key things we need to know to be prepared for when that occurs? Yes, definitely. You know, we know that uh, death is the most inevitable fact of life, and we hate to hear it, but we're all going to die someday. You know, I've shared this before, that life itself is a sexually transmitted terminal condition, (laughs) and it's uh, being an uncomfortable fact of life is also scary. And unfortunately, most people react like our three monkeys, hear no evil, see no evil, speak no evil, thinking that if they just ignore death, it will just go away. Um, But knowing that over 3 million Americans will die this year, and since the pandemic, just two years ago, more Americans died last year than ever before. And our life expectancy has actually dropped by two years since the pandemic appeared. And unfortunately, only about 20% of Americans, less than one in five, actually have a written plan in place outlining their wishes for their medical care should they become incapacitated or in a vegetative state. Um, So not discussing their wishes really isn't working. So the good news is we can do really a couple simple things for our inevitable death that will ease the burden to our loved ones. Two relatively simple things I'd like to talk about today is first designating and writing who you want to be your healthcare power of attorney to speak on your behalf about your healthcare wishes when you're incapacitated. The second is creating what we call a living will that clearly states your healthcare interventions that you want or don't want should you become a vegetative state and no likelihood to survive to regain your consciousness. Mm-hmm. So the other good part of this is it doesn't require a lawyer to do these things, Mm. even though they are legal documents. And I do want to say that I'm not a lawyer. And if uh, you so wish, I think verifying these with your attorney can also be helpful. That's good to know. So, Mark, what is the difference between having a power of attorney and a healthcare power of attorney? These are all big terms. Are they just different names for the same thing? Um, it can be confusing. You know, many people will say they have a power of attorney, and that's someone who's allowed to give legal authority to another person on their behalf. And there is a difference between a financial power of attorney, which authorizes an individual to make those financial decisions. However, you also need a medical power of attorney that allows for someone to make medical decisions. And so there is a difference. And the key differentiator is that The power of attorney, or what they also may refer to as a durable power of attorney, is typically focused on dealing with your financial issues, whereas a power of attorney for healthcare names the person, they're the person who makes those medical decisions on your behalf when you're no longer able to make them yourself. So both these um, are important to have, but they are definitely different. 
You know, we always hear about these people or, you know, a healthcare power attorney, power attorney. We always hear about that role. And I've been talking to my parents about this, but is does that always have to be someone in your family or is there any benefit of not picking someone in your family to fill that role? It really just needs to be someone that you trust. Mm-hmm. with authority to make those decisions and that will represent you legally on your behalf. I know in some cases, even with our own company here, we deal with hospice and dying every day. We do have people on our team that feel that their spouse is not able to make those decisions or emotionally would not be able to deal with those decisions when the time comes. So there can be a benefit by selecting somebody who is not as emotionally invested and also who will advocate on your behalf. So if you have a family member who really doesn't agree with what you want, it would probably be unwise to put them in charge to uh, implement your wishes when you're no longer able to do that yourself. That's good to know. So switching gears a little bit, what is the living will and how is that different from a traditional will uh, as in like my last will and testament? Right. Wills and living wills really serve a different purpose. A will is formally known as that last will and testament guides the distribution of your assets after your death. So the financial piece of what you want done with your assets and your property. In contrast, a living will guides end of life decisions that you're not able to make and declares who you want to make those for you. If you're, for example, are in irreversible coma or declared brain dead. So it's really the first the will, last will and testament, distribution of financial assets and property. The living will really relates to your own body, what you want done as far as the care of your body, what things you don't want done, and uh, those type of physical decisions about your personal care and health. That's very helpful to know. Can you describe some of the most important items that are covered in this living will? Yeah, absolutely. You um, can really put anything you wish to have as far as your medical care in a living will. You can instruct certain types of care and certain care not to be given. For example, you could instruct that you should not be put on a ventilator should you not be able to sustain your breathing. Other preferences uh, may include some things that are considered life-prolonging medical care, like blood transfusions, CPR, certain diagnostic tests or dialysis, um, drugs that may extend your life, such as antibiotics, and uh, use of respirators or surgery, where there's no probable positive outcome. That, you know, there is a tipping point in every illness where you begin the active dying process. And so this sort of designates what you want to have done or not done so that it's not extending your life. It may prolong your death and possible suffering. The other is food and water. Permanently unconscious people may live for a long time um, and by giving intravenous food or water can sometimes extend people in a vegetative state However, people who want to allow a natural death, doing that is actually counterproductive. And a third thing to think about in your living will is what kind of palliative care or how you want to deal with your pain 
and allowing a natural death. That is the voice of Mark Philbrick, Director of Education with Transitions Life Care, and we've been speaking about living wills and also uh, health care power of attorneys, and we're going to continue our conversation with Mark right after this. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. Joined by Mary Lucas from Transitions Life Care. Here's your host, Jason Kong. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. News, talk, traffic. Jason Kong here with Mary Lucas and our guest on the line, a familiar one on the show, Mark Philbrick, the Director of Education at Transitions Life Care. And we're talking all about the documents and decisions that we need to make when we're unable to make decisions for ourselves. Mm-hmm. We've been talking a bit about living wills, Mark, and I, I want to continue just for another couple minutes on that. Who should you give your living will to once you've created it and where should they keep it? That's a really good point. You can't use something you can't find. And uh, so it's really important to make sure that uh, this living will gets given, first of all, to your doctor, that this is a conversation you and your doctor ought to have together so they are clear on what your wishes are. And then making sure that your health care power of attorney, whoever you designate, has an updated copy of that. And also other family or friends in case that person cannot be reached in case of an emergency. Mm-hmm. Where to put it is also important. I recommend you do not put it in a safe deposit box because if something were to happen on the weekend, being able to access it and the banks are closed or, you know, we've run into situations where a family member in distress can't remember where they put the key to the safe deposit box. Mm-hmm. I, I had a really good suggestion came to us from a wife of one of our hospice patients and she created what she called the red book and it was just a three ring red binder that had little uh, plastic inserts to put her documents in and all of her papers were put in plastic sleeves the living will the healthcare power of attorney her insurance information the car titles all of that was in one binder and it was on her bookshelf So when there was a need, her children knew exactly where to go, and I've implemented that myself. I bought a little three-ring binder and told my kids exactly where they can find it, and it has all my documents in one simple place that's easy to grab. And a backup copy of that is also given to my three children, so they have it just in case um, it gets down to that situation. It's really good to know. So what happens, you know, this would be horrible, but what happens if I, if I become incapacitated and do not have a health care power of attorney in place or a living will? I know this is something we saw in the news a lot with COVID very early on when it was so dangerous and, and people were in the ICU and uh, et cetera. What happens if, if that becomes the case? Yeah, this is a really important point. In fact, we know from our research in the local hospitals, less than 40% of hospitalized patients in our service area have a written advance directive in 
their doctor's office or in the hospital. And so fortunately, the state has made that determination for you. There's a North Carolina law, number 90-21.13, if you want to look it up, it provides a framework of which providers will determine who has this authority for incapacitated patients. So there is a legal packing order that starts with first the valid healthcare power of attorney. So if you do not have a designated healthcare power of attorney, the next person in the pecking order would be a a court appointed guardian. Now this is typically, you would see this in a patient who has um, advanced dementia has been determined incompetent, may not have family members, or a minor. It could be an orphan or somebody who is uh, court-appointed to have somebody make those decisions on their behalf. So the guardian comes next. If there is no guardian and there is no health care power of attorney, then the spouse of the patient becomes the decision maker. If you have no spouse, then it turns into the majority of the patient's reasonably available parents and adult children. So if your parents are still leaving, they and the uh, adult children of the patient. Should you not have a parent or adult um, still living, then it's the majority of the patient's reasonably available adult siblings. So it goes from your children to your siblings and then if you have no siblings then it goes down to the individual stab anyone who has an established relationship with the patient who's acting in good faith for the patient and can reasonably convey the patient's wishes if no one can be found to speak on your behalf and this does happen on occasion then if the patient's attending physician can provide that treatment with the consent of another physician So it's two physicians making that decision. There is an exemption. If that second physician isn't available, if that delay in trying to reach another doctor would endanger the patient's life, then one physician, the attending physician, can make those decisions. So it's a pretty uh, established pecking order of who gets to make these decisions and in what order they can be made. Very helpful. You know, I know a lot of these conversations with family members and friends even about illness and death are are so challenging. It's something we talk about on the show. What has been your experience? You've been in this industry for a while and having these conversations um, also with your your own family. And what tips do you have mm-hmm. for others? Yeah, it's um, I was fortunate in a sense in my own situation. Uh, my three children were um, teenagers when my father and brother both got terminal cancer at the same time. My dad moved into my home and with the help of hospice, I cared for him for three months. And so my children were with me and with their grandfather when he died. And they saw that we had gotten all these things in order. Uh, They were clear on how we did this. And it was really a comfortable, loving experience being prepared for the end in mind. I do realize that's not typically the way this works. Um, And having worked now for 17 years in hospice, um, it is typical to see families not being prepared. So my recommendation to start the conversation is to be, um, bring this up for yourself first. So for me, having that conversation was introducing here's what I want, 
having that conversation with my children and walking them through what I wanted, what I didn't want. Um, you know, they, they jokingly call me Debbie Downer, like on Saturday Night Live, that, oh, here goes Dad with the death talk again. But um, it's so important to say sometimes, hey, we have to have a conversation about something that's not very comfortable, but inevitable. Also, there's a great game online called Go Wish Online. If you Google Go Wish Game, you can find it. And it's sort of like solitaire, and it's a series of questions about what you want or don't want. And as you go through these questions, it helps you outline having a conversation. You can do it as sort of a card game with family members to have these conversation introductions and uh, try to ease into that conversation in a less threatening way. Well, a card game sounds fun. <laughs> yeah. Where should our listeners go to get more information on all of these topics? There are really three good sources. The first one is called fivewishes.org. Um, it is a free site. You can go. They have lots of resources, and they can walk you through this online. Another great website is called theconversationproject.org. And it addresses specifically what you just asked me about, how to begin the conversation with your family. And it's all one word, theconversationproject.org. And the third is our own website at transitionslifecare.org in a sense of locating if you have a loved one who is facing a serious chronic or terminal condition, considering asking your primary doctor to have a palliative care consult from a transitions palliative care specialist to begin the conversation about goals of care and advanced care planning. And they can walk through this in a very non-threatening and a compassionate way to really begin preparing the way for having that conversation in what we call a family meeting. And that would be, I think, one of the best ways to get this done and done professionally and well. Yeah, I'd have to agree. And those three websites, again, if you want to uh, write them down, fivewishes.org, fivewishes.org, also theconversationproject.org, theconversationproject.org, and of course, transitionslifecare.org, transitionslifecare.org. And if you missed any part of this episode and you want to grab it again, be sure to go to wptf.com, click on the podcast button, Find Aging Matters, and there you can listen to this episode as well as all the other episodes that we have done in the past. I want to thank Mark Philbrick, Director of Education for Transitions Life Care, for his time and expertise today. We are all out of time. On behalf of Mary Lucas, I'm Jason Kong, thanking you for listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk traffic. You've been listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. For more information, log on to transitionslifecare.org.